Hello, welcome to the Duke Podcast, People, Pets, and Purpose. I'm Dias Dixon. I'm the Maddie's Advisor for External Affairs and Partnerships for the Human Animal Support Service Project. That's a project that really brings together the human service world and animal welfare and all the places that overlap that are beneficial for both parties. We don't look at these things oftentimes with the impact that they could have, but they have a lot of impact. And we're going to have some wonderful people on this podcast, this brand new series to really focus on the work that's being done and a lot of the work that needs to be challenged and needs to be done. We're going to be talking to some amazing world changers in and outside of the animal welfare about the essential work of building connections, making hard, necessary, and transformative change that keeps families together and saves animals' lives, but it also saves human lives at the same time. It's going to be inspiring, actionable, and exciting, and I hope you will be a part of it and tune in regularly. If you know someone you think should be a guest on People, Pets, and Purpose, please give us a shout out. Uh, if you've got a topic you want to explore, you can just drop us a line at marketing at AmericanPetsAlive.org. We'll get back to you pretty quickly and see how we can pull it all in. For today's inaugural episode, I'm speaking with a good friend of mine, and this guy is amazing. And I'm not saying that just because he's on the screen right now. But Matt Pepper is the executive director of Michigan Humane, Michigan's oldest and largest nonprofit animal organization, where Matt and his team are really shaking things up with their mission to keep people and pets together and also giving pets a second, third, or tenth chance at being impactful. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here, bud. Diaz, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we are. We're lucky to have you as the first guest. I mean, you and I have had some conversations over the years about a lot of these different topics. Um, that's why I was super glad to bring you in because you not only do you understand the animal welfare side, you understand the social service and the human side as well. Let me start real quick by asking you about your One Health program. I understand Michigan Humane has partnered with doctors, and dentists, and human service providers alike to keep families whole and healthy. Um, tell us a little bit about this program. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think it's first thing we have to do is go back to 1877 when we started. And so we think about these, um, you know, these programs of sort of an evolution of, of the industry, and, and it is, but it's also getting a little back to our core, to our foundation. So Michigan Humane, for example, we started in 1877 helping uh, workhorses. And then the other part of our mission was women and children subject to domestic violence. So we have always been a human-centered organization. And then somewhere along the way, we began hyper-focused on sort of companion animals. And now I sort of see us coming back. But, but before I talk about One Health, I'll tell you a quick story that illustrates why, why thinking about the human element and the human condition in context of our work is so important. I was at our pet food pantry probably three months ago. And a young woman was driving by and she had two huge cane corsos in her car. And I just happened to come by and say, ma'am, can I, can I pet your dogs? And she goes, absolutely. And these dogs were absolutely loving it. She looked me in the eye and she said, I just got to thank you. These were my sister's dogs, but she passed away and my children love the dogs and I can't afford to care for them because I just lost my job. And normally I'd rely on my parents, but, but last year they passed away and I've really been struggling with that. And I happened to be there with the Dean of the Social Work Program at Wayne State University. And she looked at me and said, you just asked someone, can I pet your dog? And you've gotten more from them about their life 
than a social worker can get in three months. You know that she's struggling with grief and loss, that she's got children who she's struggling to meet the needs of, that she needs help with job placement, which likely means she needs help with things like utilities and housing. And you did that just by saying, can I pet your dog? That is where the idea of One Health came from, because I think what we have to do is recognize that there are two ends of every leash. And unless we consider both ends, neither one of them can maximize the impact of the other. So a, a pet can't a pet is only as healthy and safe as a family it lives with and the community it lives in. So us creating healthier family units, healthier communities, safer communities by connecting and intersecting with health and human service organizations creates better pets, healthier pets, safer pets, more stable pets, which in turn creates safer communities and healthier communities and more engaged communities, which in turn turns our neighborhoods around, which draws in talent and builds our, our community. So I really believe that animal welfare organizations can be the most impactful social service organizations in a community if we really think about our impact, not just the outcome, not the numbers, Mm-hmm. but the outcomes and the impacts on families. But but where One Health came from was sort of us asking around, you know, um, it started with our conversation with an organization here in, in Southeast Michigan called Gleaners, which is one of the largest human food insecurity organizations. And, and us asking the question, you know, how many of your, your participants in your program have pets? And we all know now that about 70% of American pop, the American population has pets. He found almost to a T, 70% of his population had a pet. And not only did they have a pet, that organization found that they were sacrificing the human food they were given for their pets. So what we did was create a value proposition that if you want your food to go to the right purpose, you need us involved because if we're not involved, 70% of the time they're giving your food to their dogs because they're prioritizing their dogs over their own health. So that bled into other opportunities. Uh, we brought in uh, U- University of Detroit Mercy and Delta Dental to provide um, dental screenings for humans as they were waiting for their dogs to get dental screenings at our One Health events. Yes. Uh, we brought in uh, DTE Energy Corporation to help people talk about their utility bills because they're waiting anyways. The dogs are inside waiting. Let's give them access. In the city of Detroit, we're talking about a population that's been promised a lot of things. And we can't be an organization that promises more and doesn't deliver. And we can deliver for their pets, which gives other organizations an opportunity to come in and piggyback off that trust we've developed over 145 years and create safer, healthier families. So last year we did, you know, uh, 10 to a dozen One Health events. Uh, but our One Health programs incorporate kind of all of our work. It's our door-to-door work in the community. We we actually go door-to-door and ask people, what, what, do, they, what do they want? What do they want to see? Do they know who we are? We, um, we, we provide uh, indigent care services in, the, in, the, in our veterinary centers. As a matter of fact, we've committed 38 million by 2030 in, in resources and subsidized wow. veterinary care to Metro Detroit to keep families together. And, and frankly, that's a cheaper model than sheltering them. I mean, every animal that walks in, I, I would challenge you to think about also in the industry, we think about intake by appointment. And you make an appointment and a couple of weeks later, you bring in dog. What if we lived in a world where appointments ran the other way and you surrendered your dog, two weeks later, we made an appointment for you to come back and pick it up and, and got him out of the shelter. So I think we're at a real interesting time in our organization, but, but One Health is about, it's about truly that, One Health. It's about using our access to give people 
exponentially greater exposure to the other services in this community that can help them and their family thrive. See, that's amazing because you're sitting there and you're doing this right now in communities that people probably would have said this wouldn't have worked in. You're doing it in you're doing it in Michigan. You're doing it in, in Detroit. You're doing this in areas that are probably a lot of them are, are lower socioeconomic um, areas. You're doing it with marginalized populations. You're doing it in places where people would probably normally say, no, that has to be more affluent. Um, you're breaking so many stereotypes in my mind that I'm thinking about. This is mind blowing. And for how long you've been doing it and pulling entities together and really thinking about it in a holistic manner of, of all the connections. I got to ask you, Matt, what, all of this stuff is fantastic. What kind of pushback have you had? So I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. We have received zero pushback in much broader acceptance of our work. Our relevancy, both in the community and in the funding community, in the corporate community, has greatly increased. And that's because we're we're doing things a little bit, um, we're doing things a little bit differently. I think, so, so what you're going to hear today is a lot about failure, evolution, and growth. And what I mean is, if I were sitting here right now talking to me 15 years ago, I would look at myself now and say, that guy 15 years ago is the problem. I had to evolve in how mm. I thought. I've sat in the suburbs and looked at a city like Detroit and said, boy, there's so many problem owners here. This is an issue. My thought process has evolved as I've actually asked people, what's important to you? And what do you, what do you, what do you think about the services? What do you think about your pet? Tell me about your pet. And I'll tell you, um, it's, it's changed the way we've, we've, we've done work. When you look at the people you're serving, as a part of the solution, as a part of a part of the problem. And I'll give you a great story. There's a man by the name of Tony. Tony is fantastic. He, he has no transportation, lives in a home that most of us would think had to, but this has to be a condemned house. I mean, it's, it's the roof is caving in. He lives there. He's the, he has the greatest smile on his face in the world. He has seven dogs. And he has seven big dogs because he's found them either hit by a car on the street or he's picked them off the alley and he's brought them into his life. He can't feed himself. Right. Yet, he, yet he still struggles to feed these dogs. And, and the reason I think about this is 15 years ago, I would have said, that guy can't afford these animals. We need to remove these animals. Right. I think about it differently now because now I've got a community champion. This is what this is what Tony did. Tony, one of his dogs got attacked by another neighborhood dog and the leg got pretty massively injured. He put it in a wagon and walked it one mile to our Mackey Center and asked for help. And we were able to we were able to help him. We 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 cleaned up the wound, bandaged it, but it needed to be uh, cleaned and changed every day. This man for two weeks, wow. one mile there, one mile back, just dog in a wagon, walk there, walk back every day that's because love. he cared. That's yeah. that's love. And and now what I have now is somebody who in the community goes, man, you want help? You call Michigan Humane. And, and I can I can come in from West Bloomfield and, and sit in a train and go, I'm here to help you. But when someone in the neighborhood says, no, 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 they really are here to help you. And this is what they did for me. That that makes a difference when the people in your community are your champions, uh, not a part of the problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. What you're talking about, too, is the ability from an organization standpoint or a system standpoint to listen. And I, I, I tell people all the time, some of the trainings that I do, silent and listen have all the same letters. But oftentimes we're not good enough to be silent. We want to come up with a solution. No, it must be done this way. Cut out, you know, all the boxes and say that, that everything's got to fit 
inside this box when really the solutions are coming from the people that we're serving. The, the, if we would just listen, there are more ways to find those pathways of, of, of bridges of the values and communication that actually works rather than us doing it with our own biases. And you're, you're a perfect example. And I'm going to take a pause for just a second, not for a commercial, but people out there don't know Matt Pepper. I'm going to throw a little, I'm going to, I'm going to pepper them with a little bit of a little quick. All right, I'm ready. Matt's got two tripods. I do. He's got, he's got two three-legged dogs. So this is a man who not only walks the walk he, or talks the talk, he walks the walk as well. Tell us a little bit about your pups as I as I break away. Yeah, so I've got I've got I've got Rocky and Tucker here next to me. Tucker here is a little bit loud every once in a while. He's about a about a year and a half old pit bull, and he was um he was found as by our by our cruelty and rescue team. He was about a couple months old with a wire tied around his leg in an abandoned home in the in the north end of Detroit. Um, leg was dead. It was a com- completely dead leg. Uh, that leg we we when we were able to find him, he was he was pretty thin, pretty rough shape. We amputated the leg. That set up a uh, tetanus infection, which caused him to lose mobility in all of his joints. He could use the bathroom. He could swallow. That was it. So for three months, our team syringe fed him, spoon fed him, let him watch this uh, this uh, this tablet of a, of a trail so he felt like he was walking. And, and then my other dog here, Rocky, is a little rat terrier mix who was about this close from getting the, the wrong end of an 18-wheeler on I-75. Uh, he lost his front leg and uh, and has a little bit of, of knee issues in the back, but but both of them are great examples of the uh, the commitment that Michigan Humane gives to every animal in our community. And I would challenge every organization to think this way, which is an animal inside your walls of your facility isn't your responsibility. Every animal is your responsibility, whether it was however it was acquired, however its conditions, whoever its owners are, they're all your responsibility. But these guys. Our medical team, I mean, Tucker's a great example. He wouldn't have survived in any other shelter in, this, in the state of Michigan, except for in our team. And, and, and they didn't do it because the CEO wanted him. He was already kind of up and moving before I got interested in him. And uh, Rocky was the same way. I sort of fell in love with him. So uh, you've got to, you know, you, you see so many animals in this world. You try not to get to attach to them all. But these two are definitely a couple I got attached to. Well, I, I had to throw that story out there, man, because uh, you're leading by example. That's pretty cool. We're talking about. Well, let me let me tell you one of the reasons they're alive, too, is that I'm lucky enough to have um, the 2021 Shelter Veterinary of the Year and Dr. Cece working at Michigan Humane and oh, 19 other veterinarians who are incredibly talented. So we have a great team. That is awesome. That is awesome. And so when you are sitting around with your team, how is your team? um in the shelter how are you guys integrated with the program with the uh, where do the voices all come from is this something that you're just leading and, and talking about and pushing this isn't okay. this is an organizational initiative i think like any good leader my job is to surround myself with people who are better than i am yes, and do their job and i need and, and i i don't i don't ever dictate this is something my job is to is to bring people along and I think it's taken a little while. When we work in animal welfare, we're so used to working with the animals and thinking a certain way. It's it's hard to evolve when you see suffering, when you see things. It's hard to think there could be a different way of of, of doing it. But I, I have to give our staff a, a ton of credit. I mean, they, they have absolutely bought in. Um, our leadership team is created specifically from different specters. So outside of my VP of medicine, and my VP of animal welfare, all my other members of my leadership team came from outside the animal welfare industry because I wanted 
different perspectives from from social work to private industry, all yeah. sorts of different different backgrounds, and, and and that's helped me be a better leader, surrounding myself with smart people. But I'll tell you, we've got 251 employees, and every one of them gives their heart every single day for this job. And as a leader, I'm no important than the person who comes into Detroit every day and cleans the kennel. I just have a different job. Matter of fact, I started my career in Kenosha, Wisconsin, cleaning kennels. That's how I, yeah. that's how I ended up evolving through the system. But this is an organization-wide um, concept, an organization-wide philosophy that we're all on board with. So everyone in this organization knows that if someone comes, walks in our door and says, I think I might need to surrender my dog, anything they can do to keep that pet at home is on the table. Anything See, that we can do. You know, having that knowledge of what other resources are out there, what can we do to help support you? It's not just the transactional um, experience. This yeah. is about what can we do to be supportive of you? It's not just taking in an animal or adopting an animal out. And when you're talking about doing things differently, I think animal welfare really has to start looking at how to do things differently. How do we pull in people from outside industries to be a part of the problem solving uh, that we need in moving forward? I think we've evolved in a bubble. And, and you and I have talked about this before. I think as an industry, we've got to start measuring things differently and discard an old philosophy. I think we're at a point of of changing um, but but I'll, I'll, you, you talk really interesting about something about, about you know, the staff and, and giving them the information and the tools. So we sent 40 of our staff members, our public facing staff members through health and human service navigator training through Michigan 211. Um, we have a social worker on staff. We have social work students from University of Michigan and Wayne State. All and, 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 our, and someone might think you're training your staff to be social workers. We're, we're not. We're training them to ask the second question. So I'll, I'll give you a great example. Our, our call center just a, a, a couple of weeks ago, one of our employees, Shelby McWilliams, who's a fantastic representative in our, in our call center, someone called and said, you know, my dog's hurt. I need to get an appointment. And like anyone, we're loaded with appointments. It's going to be a way up. But because of the training we've got, they just recognized, you know, something something just seems a little off. Yeah. So they asked the second question, you know, it's what else is going on here? That led to somebody uh expressing the story of, you know, I'm in an abusive relationship. My dog is injured. You know, I don't know what to do. So my staff, and, and, and instead of saying, uh, I, you know, I can help you with a dog, but I don't know what to do. She said, you know what, hold on for a second. Let me find you another resource that you can call to help you maybe get out of this abusive relationship and we'll take care of your dog. Because as you and I know, 82% of the time, uh, an, a battered woman won't leave a situation if you can't take no. her pet with them. And they'll, they'll, they'll admit the, the abuse of their pet before they'll admit their own abuse. But if you ask, if you recognize that there's a human element to our job, you can have a pretty dramatic impact. So that's that was just an example of training people just to ask the second question. And now what do I have? If I only, let's say I'm somebody who just cares about the dog. I have a dog that's now living in safety, free from an abusive owner. Win, win, I, I've won. It's, we're, yeah. We've won. Everyone's we, happy. That's a win-win all around. And brother, what you're talking about is sustainable change you're talking about when you say the second question i like that i've never heard that before the second question that's going in deeper that's making a strong enough connection to gather more information to find out where needs really are this person on the other end isn't thinking they're going to be talking to someone who is a potential resource that can be helping them out i know for years you, you talked about talking to matt 15 years ago if i was talking to diaz 15 years ago i was running a substance use treatment facility for women and children we built this giant campus. It's absolutely gorgeous. We have these 
cottages that women could live in for up to a year. And I didn't allow pets. I didn't allow pets. And I look back and kicked myself. You know, later when I was able to build a homeless youth shelter, I recognized the importance of people being able to have their pets with them when they were coming off the streets. And I righted my wrongs, but I wish I could go back and kick my butt. You know, yeah. <laughs> for, we, we learn we learn more from failure than we do from success. And, and I think and failure doesn't always have to be a bad thing. It doesn't have to mean you did, at, at the time. Yeah. That's the best information we had. You know, you yeah. make decisions with the best information you had at the time. I've got different information now and I'm yeah. different. point. But I, I'll tell you something else you can think about is when you think about stepping away and not having to be the hero and let the people you're working with be the hero. Yes, that changes their involvement as well. I mean, it's as simple. So our, our narrative, for example, you all, most people know that we've changed our name from the Michigan Humane Society to Michigan Humane. And part of that was sort of a, a narrative change. It, so the reason we did that was a humane society. We all know it's a generic term. Yeah. But the word society, if we talk about the world we live in now, we think about equity. We think about inclusion. The word society inherently is just not an inclusive word. So we dumped it. And then the word humane and humanity, humanity has two elements of it, human and, and it can be animal as well. It's a human and an animal element. It doesn't limit itself to the pets. But part of our change was in our narrative. I think every animal welfare organization, almost everyone uses the hero narrative. You know, somebody is struggling. I swoop in, I save the day, look at what I've done. And then I save it. And that's okay. But what if the narrative was at our pet food pantry, not, not me standing in front of a line of people who, who need help, but me handing someone a bag of food and saying, you love your dog. Why don't you feed your dog? Let you be the hero. You spent the time to come here and prioritize yourself. You're the hero. And then instead of sitting on camera and saying, this is what I've done for all these poor people, which is what I've done before. I've said that before I've interviews, me putting the microphone in front of someone saying, what does this pet mean to you? And having them tell us how this pet has changed their life. Yeah. Yeah. Much more powerful and much yeah. more um Altruistic. I think a lot of people, one of the problems we have is leaders think they, because of they're battling their imposter syndrome, they think they have to show that I, 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 when the reality of it is, is if you're the dumbest person in the room with your leadership team and your, and your overall team, you're doing good. Yeah, 100%. And I absolutely am. And, and I, and I love that. And I, I mean that truthfully, I have an incredibly smart team. And I have future leaders in the wings. I think in the in the next 10 years, you're going to find the tentacles of Michigan Humane, everyone in the country leading organizations. And if I find myself not relevant to the organization in the next 10 years, I'll have done my job. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm really excited about, about, about where we are and, and the team that we have in place. That's amazing. That's amazing. So it's great to be able to build up those leaders around you so that they can be in a position where eventually they go and run their own organizations, whatever it may be. So out there, you guys know that um, Matt didn't say you can come steal his staff, but we know where to find really talented people and where they're being groomed. Off the yeah, Matt, well, I know, who, I know who you team. are, folks. Don't be trying. Yeah. <laughs> that's that Michigan coaching tree that's going that's on right. up there. But we won't t- we won't call it the the Wolverine coaching tree. We'll call it just Michigan. Yeah, let's just let that one go, folks. Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, We'll, we'll save that one for another another let's time. Stay on topic, Diaz. Come on, let's stay on topic. <laughs> I got another question for you. We're talking a lot about, you know, obviously having really intelligent people from different industries that have come in. Um, so people are from the human service side. Let's talk a little bit about the connection between human health and pet health. So many people think that these are separate. You wrote 
an incredible op-ed in the Detroit Free Press about how they're actually connected. Why did you write that um, op-ed, and, and what was the response? Well, the, the response, first of all, when I mentioned earlier about our, our relevancy um, dramatically increasing within this community, it's it's because we looked at our impact differently. And I'll, again, I'll, I'll tell another quick story and then answer your question. I think historically a story in animal welfare would have been told like this. A dog comes to us broken. We fix it. We do incredible work for it. And then a family comes to the door. They fall in love and they walk off into the sunset. And that's the end of the story. Happy ending for the dog. I think that if, if we if we tell that story, we're selling ourselves short and we're measuring the wrong things. What I think is that's the beginning of the story. That's the beginning of up until that point. That's the number. That's the that's the old. Yeah, that's the that's the number. The actual outcome is what happens to that family after adoption. Studies show that they're more active, that they're healthier, that they're more mentally stable in a city like Detroit. Communities that are more engaged are safer and more connected. In a, in a city like Detroit, where we are, we don't have a ton of animal-friendly amenities. We're la- we're 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 falling behind on ability to attract and retain young talent that are primarily driven by their pets. So what we talked about in that in that op-ed was: don't think about us as an animal welfare organization. Think about it as a driver to the economy, as a driver for public health, and as a driver for public safety. And, mm-hmm. and and really have the conversations about what do safe spaces do in a neighborhood in Detroit? And when I can relate them not to just a dog park for a dog to exercise, but I can relate it to less crime, uh, less obesity in young people, less heart disease and stroke, more activity. Now I've got people who go, oh, I, I didn't do it when it was a dog park. But when it's a community center creating safer, healthier communities, you have my full attention. You know, when it's... um. Yeah. Uh, when we're talking about uh, attracting a, a young talent, when I talk about, okay, so you want animals, you know, we don't want animals in our, in our, in our, in our building because they might make a mess or whatever it is. But when I say in this remote work environment we live in, if you want to attract someone in their twenties who could live anywhere they want, you're not going to do that unless you, unless you include their pet in, in your considerations into the future. So that op-ed was written to, to change the narrative of Michigan Humane from a animal welfare organization to a quality of life organization for everyone in Metro Detroit that uses animals as a window into the lives of people and that can dramatically impact both the people and pets of Metro Detroit. That's awesome. That is awesome. As you, uh, as you're talking, I hear my herd go running by my door, you know, um, being able to, to really think about it differently and picture animal welfare on the continuum of social determinants of health, it it makes sense because now we start thinking about it with a domino effect of all the impact that it has on communities and help people getting out and being healthier. I love it. I love it. And Dias, I'll tell you this: what if we could have it? What if we could get to a world where, because of the actual the chemical changes in our body, the emotional changes in our body. Not only does pet acquisition become something that everyone should experience, but I keep I, I, one of my board members and I keep talking about fur over pharma. You know, what if one day people could prescribe pets because of the physiological changes that we undergo with a pet in our life? I'll, I'll give you a great example. We're working with Teen Susie, which is an uh, in uh, dementia and Alzheimer's organization here in Southeast Michigan. 
and they have a, uh, a, a physician who oversees some of their work. If they qualify in that program, we do subsidized adoptions for family in early stages of de dementia and Alzheimer's because not only does it give the person struggling a chance just to connect to something different, and oftentimes that can be have a real chemical reaction to them, yeah. it gives the caretaker, who caretakers die 35% time, 35% the caretaker dies before the person struggling in Alzheimer's and dementia, it gives them a chance to go take care of themselves while the person is with someone. Now the caretaker can go use the bathroom, get a sandwich, yeah. take a break. So imagine if we started to think of dogs as, as prescribed treatments for mental and physical illness. Now that that's a that's a that's a world I'm I'm excited about seeing. Yeah, that's pretty amazing because it research the research is there. More and more it research is. is being done to show the positive impact that it has on us, you know, from from depression. Well and, and we also know that coming out of COVID, those numbers are spiking on the human side. Yeah. Depression, suicide, mental health issues and and the uh, the solutions perhaps are right here under our nose in recognizing the impact that pets have on us. So I, I, I love how far ahead of the curve you are and what you guys have done and put into place. Do you think you'll start seeing shelters shift um, and become resource centers in a way? And it, how do we get there? I think if you want to remain relevant in your community, you're going to have to. The reality is I think shelters now are 17% of acquisition. So if your entire model is based on adoption, you're, 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 you're losing the battle. If you're, if you're merely thinking about metrics on animals within your community, you're losing an opportunity. Uh, and if you are not engaging your community as part of the solution rather than part of the problem, you're missing the point. So I think there is a really, um, I think we're at a pivotal point in, in our industry where we have to stop thinking ourselves as processing centers and start thinking about ourselves as community resource centers. I mean, so as animal populations decrease at Michigan Humane, we've pivoted to education. So we have uh, high school programs at Michigan Humane and Veterinary Medicine in, in Detroit Public Schools. We have 15 to 20 pre-vet first and second year vet students who come and work with us over the summer, eight to 10 weeks, 15 to 20 surgical externs. And we are now developing programs that we wanna draw from Detroit Public Schools and, and give them a talent pipeline. So as our world changes, we can change our focus. I believe Detroit in 10 years will be the hub for particularly diverse veterinary talent in the country. I think you'll see more uh, veterinarians, particularly minority veterinarians coming out of Detroit than you will any other city in the country. And that's because we're trying to find a way to use our existing resources mm -hmm. as a resource center and give people opportunities to see themselves in the work that they clearly care about. Well, you know, and if people don't see themselves or they don't see people who look like them or they don't, they're not even exposed to worlds, they're not going to be digging in. And you, exactly. you just made a, a huge salient point there that you're just, you're going into the educational system. Kids have to see something as an opportunity or something that they can explore in order to gain interest. If they don't have the awareness about it, how are they going to be a part of it? And you guys are not only looking at what you're doing here in this present. You're looking at the future. You're looking at impacting and inspiring young minds to be a part of something that's impactful. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's really impressive. And let me share too, because I think too often people are afraid to share, especially when you talk about the DEI space, you know, people oftentimes mess up and, and, they, and, and, and that has to be okay. So I'll give you a great example of my failure. Uh, a couple of years ago, we created a program with a great uh, donor that was 
um, primarily for minority candidates from Detroit to go to vet tech school at Macomb Community College. It was going to pay, but it's a pretty intense program, two-year program. And for three and a half years, we had this program and we couldn't figure out why was nobody taking advantage of this free program? Not a, nobody would even apply. And the reason was we didn't take into consideration our target population and their experiences, which were, oh, that's great. I can go to school for two years, but I also have to work to feed my family. So this isn't an opportunity for me. Right. So when you when we went back and thought about that, we thought about, well, how do we solve that issue? Well, how we solve it is by saying, I've always got vacancies. Every organization has vacancies and there are some great online programs. So we started a, a relationship with Penn Foster two years ago where we we pay for the tuition to Penn Foster. Yeah. It's an online veterinary technician school. And then we hire them as unlicensed technicians. It's just technician can be a challenging group. Unlicensed technicians, give them a mentor and watch them grow and learn the technical skills under a mentor while they're doing the school on their own. And now we have six students in the program this year. We have eight more coming uh, in 2023 uh, from Detroit Public Schools, Detroit at Work. And understanding other people's experiences has been a learning opportunity for me, but it's also helped me create more programs that have better buy-in from the community and helping the community be, you know, too often animal welfare organizations are in a community, but they aren't a part of the community. And we have to be part of a community. There's a big difference between sitting in space that's in a community than being integrated and seeing as an integral part of the community. Yeah, geography and partnership are two different things. They're two different things. And when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, people miss the mark oftentimes because they just go from, they're looking at it from an optical, uh, from, you know, from from optics. And we've got the look of this, but it's always much deeper than what we see on the surface. So for you to dig in and say, well, why are people, you, you asked the second question. Yep. Why are people applying? And then we look, because we're all products of our own experiences and environment. So we tend to look at it from our own goggles. Free education? Why wouldn't they just jump in and have this free education? Well, the privileges that we have may allow our families to be able to do yep. such. But if we ask the questions, let's learn, let's learn the answer. But the best part is, not only did you figure out what the answer was, you took the next step in saying, all right, we're going to put a solution. In. Too many people will learn the answer and go, oh, whoa, well, okay, we're going to go and do something else. Yeah, I love the, the so I think the, the, so we all, I think you're right. We think of DEI as representation. Do I look like my community? But I think the the the, inclus, the inclusion part of that conversation is equally, if not more important sometimes. You know, I had to ask myself, I have this beautiful $16 million facility right in Detroit. But does the, 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 the single mother across the street feel like she could walk in my doors and adopt? Yeah. Probably not. No. And no. when I think about um, the impact of poverty on transportation, we have a pet food pantry that distributes 1.7 million pounds of pet food last year, which is really good for the people who live right around my pet food pantry. So this year we're changing that model, working with other organizations and going to more of a distributive model. But we are bringing our box truck into the communities to eliminate that barrier of transportation to people. So continuing to evolve and recognize you can do something well and still have opportunities to grow and evolve. Absolutely. And continue to build trust, building trust in your community. And when I talk about the DEIB, I always include that B, Matt, because the B, the belonging, when people feel like they belong and get to be themselves, um, then you're really going to, we're going to move mountains. We're going to move. In in order to do that again, you have to step back from being the hero, let them be the hero for their pet. 
but also make it their program. So one of the things that we do when we go into a new community is we send in a, either a, someone from the community or someone we contract with who's familiar with the community to go door to door without any assumptions. You just go, what's important to you? So I'll give you a great example. The North End, this is a community where we're in, in, in our Mackey Center for Animal Care. It's 1,600 vacant or burned out lots. There's no school in the North End. It's high crime, uh, incredibly high poverty. And I think 15 years ago, Matt, this Matt would have said, the dogs are tied up out back because the people don't care about their pets. The, the Matt now knows differently that, that I just had somebody shot and killed outside my Mackey Center six months ago. If I had a child, would I want him walking my dog on, on that street where they're not safe? There's no parks in the North End. Where do I go to safely engage with my pet? There's very little access to pet-friendly housing. How, no wonder my dog's outside. So we look at it differently. And, but we, and what we found when we, when we actually went through the North End was that things you think would be important. You know, school systems, more patrols by the police, access to emergency services, uh, shops, stores in, in, in that community they can access. And then the fifth one was, was, was a dog park. And I think we, 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 we think too much about why would, why would this community who has so many needs want a dog park? And the answer is because they're part of my solution. They love their pets. And I've right. got to give them the opportunity to have different experiences with their pets. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's awesome. That's awesome. And that's, again, building trust. And that's meeting people where they're at and figuring out what is it that is different. We can't have a cookie cutter approach yep. to all of this stuff. We've we got to take in the individual differences. You know, this, this podcast is really about finding inspiration and making all the different connections. And you, you're doing it all. You're talking about all these different connections. Tell me, Matt, what was the most important or one of the most important connections that you made at Michigan, uh, at Michigan Humane and in other parts of your life? If you were to just pull out one thing that pops out in your mind, what would it well, be? I'll, gi I'll give you two points of inspiration for me. One here recently in animal welfare that's really stuck with me about this community work and another personally. So my dad was a very successful businessman, which... You talked about the, the privileges that gives you, and I'm very, very conscious of that. But when I, I was originally going to college for advertising and public relations, and I, I changed my major one day, I went up to him and said, Dad, I changed my major. I'm going to do wildlife biology and work with animals. And my dad looked at me and said, okay, but you have to promise me two things. Don't measure success uh, based on what I have or what anyone else has. You measure success for yourself because everything is different. And the other thing he told me was, Success is also waking up every day and being willing to grow and give it everything you have. And that has inspired me to believe in myself and to know that every day I owe it to my to myself and to my community to be to be everything I can every single day. The other one is validation of this work. And about about three years ago, kind of the height of of COVID, when everyone was really at the at the height of isolation. And, and Detroit was a community that really struggled with security or in, in self being self-conscious around health issues. And we had a woman, her name was Cynthia. Cynthia is wheelchair bound. She has one arm. She has no legs and one arm. She in a wheelchair got herself to from the east side of Detroit to our pet, pet food pantry by bus and wheelchair, all because her seven cats she was struggling to feed. We obviously gave her food and then arranged for us to get to her house and bring her food from now on. But the change in narrative and what it's allowed me to do is 
Think about that woman as the hero. That woman trudged herself in winter in a wheelchair with one arm to our pet food pantry for her cats. And what I challenge you to do is don't think about what we did for the cats. Think about Cynthia's life without her cats during the pandemic in its height, when we were all isolated, when you've got mobility issues, when you're probably scared. And you, we have a video of this woman sitting there feeding her cats treats. This is a woman who's clearly been handed some tough cards. Mm -hmm. The biggest smile on her face, like all problems in the world are solved because she's feeding treats to her cats. That's the impact of our work because I could not imagine that woman's life without those cats. And she inspires me every day. I'm not sure she knows she does, but she does. And a matter of fact, I should probably reach out and tell her that she does because she's a pretty cool lady who loves those cats and is further evidence of what our work can do to people's lives if we let it. I love it. I love it. I don't know if there would be a better way to sum up people, pets, and purpose in our title than that story you just told. I mean, it, it is, and it is um, what we're here to, to, to be able to brag about, to elevate, to aspire to. And um, let me close this, Matt, because you, you've been very inspirational today. And I greatly appreciate you taking the, come on, taking the time to come on. Um, I want to ask you about hope. Okay. Um, and it's been really hard over the last couple of years, as you just alluded to, when we're talking about COVID. People were struggling. Um, organizations are struggling. We're trying to find the new, new and what we need to do to be successful and to be efficient and effective. Where are you finding purpose in these really difficult times? And where are you finding hope? So, purpose is in the opportunity. So right right now, we all know that Detroit is a city that has struggled for many years. There is more need right now than I can address. For every family I help, there's another family I may not have gotten to. That's my drive. My, my drive and my purpose, I just challenged my leadership team this week of saying in five years, can I look you in the eyes and say that I have touched the lives of every one of the estimated 150,000 pets living in poverty? Can I, can I tell the world that every single family in Detroit with a pet has had one interaction with a veterinarian? Can I, can I ensure that when somebody walks in our door at the Mackey Center, they never have to surrender their pet if they don't have to, for whatever reason? That's my, that's my, that's my purpose. My purpose is that there is opportunity and that I, I argue that we, are, we measure things like live release rate. If I have my way, I'll have a zero live release rate in 10 years because I won't have every animal will come in, go home. And the only animals when I have the shelter, ones that are irremediably suffering or dangerous. Other than that, everyone comes in and goes right back to a home where it's loved and cared for. Now, my hope comes from the individual successes, comes from seeing the joy that my team gets from, from getting an animal back to its home, mm -hmm. from the joy um, that that I see in in somebody feeding their dog and getting that bag of food that helps get them through. Um, from the individual successes we see every day, channeling the passion that already exists in this city. When you recognize that the people you're serving are your biggest asset, yeah, there's a lot of hope in that and a lot of opportunity. You know, Detroit has roughly seven hundred thousand people. When I realize that I don't have a staff of 250, I got a staff of 700,000. 
who can help me get to where I need to go, that brings me a lot of hope. Let's go. Let's go. I love it. I love it. So, Matt, how can people get a hold of you? How can people find your website? What, what's, what's your address? All right. So, hey, come down to michiganhumane.org. Uh, contact me directly, mpepper at michiganhumane.org. I'm open to anyone. Uh, check out our website. Um, I'm happy to help anyone in any way if they want to evolve uh, down some of the roads that we've gone. And I will tell you, one of the things that, that, I, that I give this industry a lot of credit for is nothing I've come up with is necessarily original. It's piecing together parts of what people have come up with, with parts that other people have come up with, and, and willing to make mistakes and try, and willing to be different and think about our industry in a different way. So I want to thank everyone, all of my mentors all the people in the industry for doing what you do every day because you, you've paved the way for some incredible things to come. But again, it's michiganhumane.org. Check us out. Happy to help in any way we can. Awesome to have you, Matt. Thank you for the inspirational talk today. The conversation has been fantastic. For those of you out there, you know where Michigan Humane is. We also have the Human Animal Support Services, HOSS. Um, check us out on our website as well. We are putting together as much information as we can to support the industry, as well as social services, bringing the world together where we know we need more human kindness and pet kindness. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you on the next show. 